Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development, and we're really delighted to have with us Christopher Riccardi, who is the Manager of Emergency Management and Business Continuity at Child's Health Orange County. Good to see you, Christopher. Great to see you as well. I'm excited that you've given us your time today because you've had quite a journey uh, in emergency management in your career. Why don't you tell us about that? <laughs> it's been a journey, I can tell you for sure. Um, it has been an incredibly rewarding journey, uh, to say the least. I had gotten involved with emergency management in around, well, I had been engaged with our hospital's emergency management, dealing with drills and such when I was an EMT in our emergency department at a uh, hospital a couple of miles north of where I am today. Uh, and uh, getting engaged, seeing the process was uh, incredibly non-functional. It took quite a bit of work to get us to a uh, to run drills to be able to set up. So I had uh, gotten engaged with the emergency management program uh, while I was still building simulation labs. So I got to, I have a little bit of clinical background, some uh, mechanical background. Uh, I'm an aircraft mechanic by trade. I used to work for Pan American Airlines back in, wow. geez, the early 80s. Uh, and it's been an incredible journey. So the clinical skills and my uh, mechanical skills really came to, uh, it, it's just such a great addition to enhance my role. But in terms of this journey, uh, being able to get started, being able to work with uh, our hospital preparedness programs, it was federal grant funds that were provided to hospitals after 9-11, uh, mm. just to uh, enhance our hospital's capabilities, I stepped into the role to manage that process. And uh, it just took on a life of its own. It's been an incredible journey, uh, being able to establish programs, uh, functional processes. Uh, I, I'm all about operationalizing any plan. I'm a firm believer that any plan that's written and not tested is not worth the paper it's written on. Uh, so my goal is to prepare others uh, in the event that uh, if we do deal with an earthquake and the building lands on me, they'll still be able to function. So my job basically is to teach others how to do my job. And that is preparing our facility, preparing uh, for any eventuality. Uh, it's been a great journey. Uh, just being able to encounter the people I encounter, my networks and how we've come to uh, grow together, support one another. Uh, the role of an emergency manager is not one that you keep siloed. Uh, it's the, the whole function of our role is to network. I uh, tongue-in-cheekly tell folks I'm a handshaker-in-chief. Uh, I try to meet as many people as I can that, one, I can either help support them on their journey uh, see, being that I had no formal education in emergency management stepping into this role. So by being able to share some practical knowledge, some practical experience, uh, I feel is part of uh, the function of an emergency manager. And how the more prepared we all are around us, uh, the better off we all are. Because at any given time, any one of us will be depending and relying upon uh, one of our uh, peers to, uh, to assist. So, again, just trying to uh, create that watermark and see what that looks like. Christopher, you've really emphasized, I think, collaboration and the people part of emergency management and your role 
can you tell us why that's a real focus for you? Maybe some of the experiences you've had, good or bad, around that. Sure, uh, happy to do so. We the the networking and collaboration is critical, uh, and now even more so that I'm working in a pediatric specialty hospital. Uh, we are a ped specific hospital, uh, and the collaboration with others, because not just pediatrics are going to be uh, affected by a disaster. We deal with the adult aspect as well. But the collaboration of working with other facilities uh, and being able to integrate programs uh, is uh, is paramount. Uh, We have a hospital of 100 yards across the street from where I am now that's mainly an adult hospital. Uh, and we have to plan together because when mm. something affects one of us, it, the other will be affected as well. So in being able to train together, to plan together, uh, yes, we may be affected individually as we were with, uh, as we are still with COVID. Uh, there still needs to be an enhancement, even just uh, being able to establish these relationships, to be able to share resources, share uh, personnel, both back end mm. uh, to assist one another, because it, when it really comes down to it, we will need to all disasters start locally and how we respond locally will then, you know, branch out into our county wide. And I'm not sure what your uh, how you set up your regions uh, down in your neck of the woods, sir. But here we, you know, we work within our city, within our county, within the uh, region and then up to the state. I kind of refer to this as Russian nesting dolls, where the programs are very similar. They're just larger as we move on up that that chain up to the federal government. So we start very locally within my the smallest one of those dolls is my hospital. And then the next one would be my city. The next larger one would then be my county and then region. And of course, the uh, state and federal government to uh, to assist. Can you share with us some of those communication procedures that you use or practices on a weekly or a monthly basis that you have for communicating with the hospital that's very close by, with the state, with other agencies? How do you maintain that, keep that going? Well, uh, you know, coming from another county in California that was very well funded around emergency management, coming to one that is not, Uh, I got to learn a few really neat things because of the resources that were available to us and develop and plan development and program development. But coming here uh, prior to coming to Chalk, I was the chair of the California Hospital Association's Hospital Advisory Committee. Uh, We have over 400 hospitals in California. So that created an an organic network just right off the top Uh, and being able to lead and guide and receive information from all of these facilities. Coming down to Chalk, I have the uh, incredible privilege and in Orange County, I now chair our hospital advisory committee here in Orange County that we meet every two weeks, especially around COVID. It was monthly, uh, but with, uh, with COVID, we try to get status updates, where folks are, how they are being affected, uh, census, Uh, COVID positive patients, uh, different processes that we could put into place to maybe one hospital is being affected and another's not. Well, how do we learn from them? How do we share with them? 
Uh, we, we have uh, ventilator equipment. We're uh, pretty ventilator rich here at Chalk, uh, especially the nature of our business with NICU, uh, uh, neonate intensive care unit and our pediatric intensive care units. So we've had, uh, there has been some shortages, but we, again, are, uh, we're a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of our preparedness. Mm. So we were able to share some of those resources or mass fatality plans because we were dealing with uh, quite a few decedents during COVID and how do you manage that? Uh, you learn of others' abilities and where their uh, gaps are, uh, but also our own. Uh, you know, trying to assist other hospitals with these decedents with a mass fa uh, fatality event. We wanted to assist them by providing them with morgue space within our hospital. Uh, right. I think you folks refer to things on that side of the, uh, the world as a chili bin. Uh, I like to uh, <laughs> uh, think of my uh, morgue as such, uh, just a place that just is, uh, is just that. But we have a... Um, we found that our trays in our morgue had limitations. They were only 250 pound capability. Now we start working with folks from uh, hospitals around us. Um, for those of you not familiar with uh, the United States, we definitely have an obesity problem here. Mm. And uh, 250 pounds is not necessarily an adequate uh, weight limitation. So as we started to see this, we and even some of our kids are starting to uh, come in uh, maybe tipping the scales at that or greater. And apologies, I'm not sure of the metric conversion of uh, 250 pounds, but I think you get the point. Mm. Uh, and But again, by us sharing with others to assist others, we also were able to learn of our own uh, gaps and where our right. uh, issues may be uh, that we could improve as well. Is that helpful? That's really good. You, you've mentioned like morgues, ventilators, skills, facilities, uh, people. So when you have these bi-weekly meetings or in regular times, the monthly meetings, do you wait until you have those meetings to keep that communication going? Or do you have a technology system where you're communicating all the time? How does that work in between? Uh, we utilize different processes here. Uh, and being a trusted resource amongst my peers, they reach out to me on a daily basis with, do you have a plan for this? Have you experienced that? Uh, and yes, yes, and whatever I can do to help. And sometimes the answer is no, but that helps me to keep myself moving forward as well. Uh, you know, I we do have means of communication. We also have a mask mass communication uh, technology. We use an Everbridge system that if we needed to emergency uh, use mass notification during an emergency, but we keep those lines of communications open. Uh, my hope is even if it's just to go grab a cup of coffee, uh, just to be able to sit down, chat, commiserate, uh, we need to support one another. Uh, folks have an expectation that we are impervious to dealing with stressors and so forth and so on, because our job is to manage stress uh, within ourselves to be able to function with a clear head through a disaster. But it is a uh, folks have come to uh, feel that this is a safe space. And I think if there's any attribute that I'm most proud of, it is being able to convey that I am a safe space. That if, in fact, you need to just lay your burden down, feel free to do so. You want to cry, you want to yell, scream, jump up and down. I'm okay with any or all of the above if that's what you need to offload those stressors. 
I'll also tell folks I can take a pretty good punch. Uh, and if you need to start swinging, I'm all right. I won't fight back. Not at first. Depends on uh, <laughs> the uh, severity of the blow. And if you ask my wife, I'm sure she'll tell you I could probably use my uh, rear end kicked a little more regularly. <laughs> <laughs> I had the privilege of speaking with Jolie Willis yesterday from Christchurch in New Zealand, and she's um, done a lot of research and developed resources to help teams in New Zealand uh, around the Christchurch earthquake and now internationally deal with the stresses and the strains and the pressures of the long-term effects of dealing with a crisis or a disaster after the fact. So there's the immediate response, and then there's the 10-year, 12-year you know, rebuild after something like that happens. And some of your resources are absolutely fantastic, the ones that I've seen. Um, what do you do and how do you work with other team members to manage stress? What processes do you do? What techniques? What tips? We uh, we use a couple of different uh, tools here. Uh, something that was developed in Los Angeles County was anticipate, uh, plan and deter where you anticipate for a, uh, an event uh, and how you put these tools in place by having some crisis intervention team. A, uh, uh, when I, at my previous facility, uh, it was a relatively new phenomenon and I was asked to lead our critical incident stress management program where uh, it was now taking this on. I at first felt that it may have been more than uh, I was able to swallow uh, maybe an extra bite, but I have to tell you by enduring that has been quite a beneficial adventure. Uh, so we utilize a critical incident stress management process here. Anticipate, plan, and deter is a great, great uh, tool. But I think for us to be a little bit more cognizant of the stressors and how they manifest themselves, folks, we don't know what that's going to look like. And much of our stress is cumulative. And it, you could have right. a 40-year process of dealing with stressors that you've been able to repress or just stash somewhere where you don't want to deal. And then one thing may happen, and that's the trigger that brings it all to the fore. So by anticipating this, by working through, again, by creating that safe space, by being that resource for others, and to truly be able to listen, debrief, defuse, uh, processes is huge. Myself and how do I manage my own stressors is I play Tai Chi every morning. This is how uh, okay. I keep myself, my, my head in the right place, keep my body functioning. Uh, as we had mentioned earlier, I'm not getting any younger. I just hit my 60th birthday uh, on Halloween. Congratulations. Thank you. I, 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 I never thought I'd make it to this day. But in managing through this process, these are the things we need to do for self-care uh, mm. because we cannot help anyone if we don't take care of ourselves first. Mm. There's a, a heavy lift and a heavy responsibility in emergency management that people look to you to solve various issues that come up. This is what we do. Uh, but again, and especially with COVID now, you know, we haven't gotten to the end of this. So the mm. grieving process has been part of our resiliency what does this look like? How do we get from point A to point B? What is this going to look like truly on the other side? Although it's starting to assimilate back into a, a normal function, I don't like saying a new normal or going back to the old normal. Uh, I firmly believe that 
through all events gives us the opportunity to grow. And there's a positive on all of this, just for the mere fact that we're communicating the, the way we are over uh, a Zoom platform or uh, uh, via StreamYard. This has been a, uh, we moved from the Flintstones to the Jetsons in weeks and really, and now have embraced this technology that will be with us forever, or at least for the immediate future. God knows what comes next, uh, the next process that we'll use at some point in the future. But we've been able to do some great things through COVID to enhance our capabilities and enhance how we do our business. So looking backwards, I'm a firm believer you can't go back. So with the skills and the tools and the experience you've learned and gleaned, what does that look like to improve the future? And in this predicament, this is going to be an interesting journey. Uh, as you were mentioned in the uh, earthquake, Christchurch earthquake, you know, you're still dealing with the ramifications of psychological aspects of post-traumatic mm -hmm. stress. And you're what you said, five, 10 years down, the, down since, right? What does mm -hmm. COVID, what kind of an impact is this going to have? What about our financial uh, recovery process? What does that look like? How will we maintain this process? Uh, it's been an incredible, incredible education working through COVID, seeing where gaps are in our supply chain, seeing where gaps are with our federal government, with our state government, plans that were in place that we had to activate. And we found that they were, uh, well, how can I say this nicely? Uh, I'll just call them garbage. Right. <laughs> that wasn't the first word that came to my mind. So I hope you appreciate the filter. Thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> Nothing but respect from this side. And that's the other aspect is a respect issue. You need to respect one another for wherever they're at. Help build mm. them up and be able to receive uh, criticism as well as compliments. Yeah, I really like that. I'm making notes, by the way, and I hope my students are as well uh, while they're listening to you. This is really great stuff. Yesterday, I also spoke to Patricia Frost, um, who is, is the vice chair. You're familiar with Patricia? I am. Uh, Pat and I work together uh, on various projects. Had some great wisdom there yesterday as well, thinking about the difference in dealing with children, particularly in emergency situations. And um, Jolie also mentioned yesterday or the day before about um, when children go through a disaster or a crisis like this, like Christchurch and now COVID, the, the dragging onness of it all uh, becomes a generational issue for children as adults. We get on with it and we try to respond, whereas children, it's ongoing. The 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 school is used as the, the safe shelter space. And so they lose schooling and then they lose relationships and the mental well-being issues. And there's all those things that, that children grapple with that are different. What have you noticed are some things that emergency managers could really think about and be aware of that are different for children to be cognizant and have greater empathy for children in these situations? Sure. Uh, you know, I had mentioned I do work with Pat, uh, I developed a Southern California Pediatric Disaster Coalition because that didn't, it didn't exist. So again, to fill that gap, sometimes it takes, if you see it, you need to fix it. So what does that look like? So being able to bring some of these folks together. But in terms of enhancing our mental health capabilities, our mental health screenings and processes for uh, our children, these were things that were often overlooked. It was just, uh, it wasn't at the fore for many. Uh, 
uh, preparing for pediatric emergencies, preparing for your communities for certain things. Uh, mm. This has been an eye-opening experience for many, and the long-term effects of this will be generational. Uh, we look at our, and I hate to put folks into groups, but you think about folks that are coming to age, coming of age right now into their 20s, perhaps maybe they're even in their 30s. What they've experienced in their lifetime, whether it was a uh, housing bubble that crashed, economic uh, disparities, uh, civil unrest, racial unrest, uh, these folks have all been impacted in a lot of different ways that, as you had mentioned, as adults, we kind of uh, just brush aside or just scoop it up under where, make it a part of us. But the impact that this is having on, on our children uh, is yet to uh, manifest itself. Mm. There are different ways that they're acting out. There are different ways, and we're seeing it at highest caseloads ever of our uh, psychiatric patient population in pediatrics. We're seeing this in different ways, and it, and it does manifest itself in different ways, where the parents are already at their wits end uh, managing through this. Now you deal with a psychological crisis of a child. Mm. They, they're just not equipped to manage this. So again, it's, um, it's, there are tools that we're going to need to enhance our programs, enhance our processes. And as I was mentioning earlier, how do I prepare my adult facilities to be able to manage pediatrics as well? Right. And that right. is a, a huge undertaking because they may or may not be equipped. Uh, they have the tools, don't have the tools. And they their expectation is that, well, if we have any hardcore pediatric uh, cases, we're just going to send them to you. Well, my hospital is within 10 miles of Disneyland. If something happened right. at Disneyland, and I did a tabletop exercise with my county partners uh, to identify uh, their gaps. And everyone to the last was, oh, if we get a peed surge, we're sending them to you. I said, we've just received uh, 150 of those 300 patients. We're, we're, there's no room at the inn. What are you going to do with these patients when you can't transfer them out? Do you have the capabilities to one, stabilize them, two, to uh, perhaps uh, be able to admit them and treat them? And what what is your longest length of stay that you would be able to manage pediatrics. So I think part of that is creating awareness uh, and awareness is key. Mm. Uh, and then how do you implement that in which you've learned? No easy feat. Uh, you know, pediatrics are not just small adults. They're different right. operating systems, if you will, that need specifics to manage through uh, different processes. So, I think um, by seeing this holistically and not just as a microcosm, that we need to plan holistically. We need to include all of these moving parts. Even with our uh, access and functional needs, which pediatrics falls under just by, uh, by definition, but I'm talking about adults with access and functional needs. These were things that really weren't accounted for five to eight years ago, but have come again to the fore because everybody needs to be able to uh, be cared for. And again, this is a means of, uh, and an opportunity uh, of that window is open for us to 
embrace uh, what we need to plan for and how do we integrate these issues into our day-to-day activities and our future planning processes. Hmm. Christopher, thank you very much for your time. I know you're very busy. It's great to hear um, your learning and your experiences. I've noted down the things that you've said and made some notes. Um, Anticipate, plan, and then is it deter? Deter. Deter. D-E-T-E-R. And I will... um, recommend that there's a host of free materials that are available at the Los Angeles County Emergency Medical Services uh, Agency website uh, that I'll shoot you uh, a link. Uh, I'll send it to you via LinkedIn. Uh, There's a host of information. I also built a uh, program called 15 Minutes Till 50 Patients, which is a mass casualty incident response where you are uh, able to set up your external treatment area in under 15 minutes to receive a minimum of 50 patients. And again, those are all uh, free materials that are available. Plans have been written. Uh, Whatever you can glean from this, use what you'd like, use it in toto, in part, but uh, no need to reinvent the wheel. And that's been my, uh, my mantra as we continue to move forward. Well, Christopher, that'd be great. And for everyone watching and for our students as well, I have got Christopher's link uh, to his YouTube account. Sorry, his LinkedIn account. Don't yes, know sir. if you have a YouTube account, but I'm happy to share. I, I'm you. not that far advanced at this particular moment. <laughs> 60 is the new 40. I <laughs> like I said, as long as I'm flexible enough to reach the spots I need to, we're in a really good place. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for your time. I'll make sure all the links that you send me are added with the show notes on LinkedIn, on YouTube, and on Facebook. Your time is really valuable. So thank you for much, very much for giving it to us. I'm very grateful for you. And thank you for the opportunity to share. And as questions come up uh, during the course of your uh, academic journey, please feel free to reach out. You have a resource here at any time. Thank you very much. Please don't go anywhere as we wrap up. Christopher, uh, but for those watching and for our students as well, and emergency managers around the world, as we all know, emergency managers have this big binder folder full of all the training, the certifications, the the courses that you've been on, and often there's no direct academic link if you don't have a bachelor degree or don't have a master's degree, and that's what UARD, our university, is all about, is providing you that academic recognition of your prior learning and your industry experience and the roles and responsibilities that you carry as well. So reach out to us, uard.ac.nz or uard.org, and we'd love to help you reach your academic and career goals. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Christopher, and we'll see you all again very soon.